Hey everyone, welcome back to the Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Mashur, and in today's episode, I had the chance to sit down with my buddy, Nathan. So Nathan and I discussed a wide range of topics. We talked about our both of our previous mental health struggles and how we overcame them. We talked about how we felt throughout this lockdown that we've, been, we've all been collectively going through over the past year and a bit. We talked about individual change and systematic change veganism, sustainable nutritional habits, local sourcing for food, environmental sustainability, and we ended the conversation with how to change your mind and how to become more open. So I hope you enjoy this podcast. I had a blast talking to my friend Nathan. Hi, Nathan. Hey, man. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, and I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while. You know, we go, we go, what, like three years now back since I met you? Yeah, 2017, 2018. Four years, yeah, 2017, you're right, not three years, because we met in the fall of 2017. You were in Calgary. Yeah, that, those were fun times, man. <laughs> yeah, looking back, it's kind of like uh, you know those uh, wing nights at, at uh, what's that bar called in at UFC, uh, the Den. Right, the Den. Yeah, just the Waterloo squad. You, you, me, Kevin, Rimpe, then George sometimes. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, those were fun times. And then it's weird because uh, we didn't see each other much after, but every time we we met up. About every time we met up and it wasn't that often we always had like long chats meaningful conversations so i don't know we probably only met in person like 10 times or even less but i feel like our bond is is stronger than what it seems yeah exactly i mean it's quality over quantity right and at the end of the day a lot of my friendships end up being like that long term, long distance, but low maintenance in the sense that, yeah, you know, even though, you know, we're not talking every single day, when I do talk to you, I find so much value and like love and admiration in, in our conversations that I can take that on with me. And then it creates a better understanding of who I am. And I think this is true for any quality conversation. It's like you learn more about yourself as you are conversing because you know, your, your fallacies, your, your faults, your strengths, everything kind of becomes exposed, right? If you allow it to be exposed, because our conversations are like more, I would say more direct and also more truthful and vulnerable than like, Hey, how's it going? You know, how the weather's kind of nice type of vibe. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's really, I really agree with that because I tend to reflect also after we have conversations or the day after we, we hang we hanged out for a day or so. So there's there's definitely truth to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those times, like, I think it's just to the core of it, in my head at least, the idea is that time is limited and I don't want to spend time talking about shit that doesn't matter, you know? I mean, obviously, we have to go through our daily obligations of, you know, going through conversations that you don't really care for like sending out an email that doesn't really matter or whatever. But other than that, with my friendships and relationships and the people people around me, like I want to keep that at 100. I want to keep that as vulnerable as possible because that's the only way I can kind of let my ego die and be like, I know for a fact that you'll call me out on my bullshit if I'm, if I'm messing up somewhere, right? You're going to give it to me straight and I'll do the same 
uh, for you as well, right? Out of love and admiration. So, absolutely, and that's something I expect from from real friendships. And it's not like we're trying to talk about big things all the time, right? It's, we're not trying to solve problems or like mm-hmm. trying to be perfect people, like trying to be perfect people or talking about how to be perfect people every time. But like, even when we talk about more mundane stuff, it's stuff like music or day-to-day things that maybe are not super important in the grand scale of things, but right, right. they're really important in terms of um, keeping sane in, in this world we're living in. No, exactly. No, I mean, obviously those conversations happen. I guess people, listeners might think that we're just having like these, you know, uh, conversations that Socrates or Aristotle might have had, but no, no, nothing of that sort. But it's just that I I find energy when talking to you and it it carries on and it's almost like an afterglow that I can carry on to like the day after. And that really like helped me out when I was in Calgary that, that uh, fall term, because, you know, I'm not from here. And so I had difficulty like having friends and, or making friends. Right. So having that little bit of uh, a bubble, a Waterloo bubble almost <laughs> was kind of nice. Yeah. It's, it's, it was kind of a weird situation for you now that I think more about it because technically it was your new home. Your family was there, mm-hmm. but definitely a lot of your familiarity comes from Waterloo or Toronto, just Southwestern Ontario in general. Right. Right. But you know, you adapt and like, I I've learned to like, I got a bike now, so I'm biking around and I'm starting to like the city a lot, actually. Like in the, in the spring, in the fall, in the summer, it's not too bad. Winters are kind of rough, but you learn to like, you know, make the most of that as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it should be fun for you biking around the city. It's going to be, should be like before things open up for the summer, at least that's something you can do to kind of just enjoy being out there instead of being holed up inside. And I really did enjoy my time in Calgary. Those were some of the best months of my life. Mm. Yeah, those times were a lot of fun. I remember them vividly. Some of them I don't remember, you know, wink, wink. <laughs> but uh, but I, I do think that, you know, there was a little bit of a break in the middle there where I kind of lost contact with you somewhere around like 2018 uh, winter because I came back to Calgary and around April we had lunch together, if you remember. Mm-hmm, and yeah. then after that, it was like kind of like radio silence on your end. And I was a little bit afraid of like what might have happened at that time yeah that was a low time for me definitely a low point and I think from your end you also had some rough times during that period though oh absolutely not not necessarily like the during the same months or so but we definitely were in valleys in our lives when we weren't in contact but then um we met up again a year or so after our last meeting and then mm-hmm. it's really it felt really nice because we, we just hit it off and then uh, I guess we had this connection of having parallel journeys even though we were away or separate from each other and then I think we really discovered a lot about ourselves during our time away from each other so then when we when we finally met up again it's like we had an even stronger bond 
weirdly enough. No, for sure. And also that, you know, um, and I'm, I'm really excited to hear, and I think the listeners will be very excited to hear this side of your story as well, because, you know, we all face low times in our lives, especially for me, the lowest time has been during this pandemic. And I guess the, the podcast kind of documents parts of it throughout the past 10 to 11 months or however long I've been doing this. And it's scary to be in those positions of where like your mental health is not at check and you can't even share that. And it took me a while to understand that too, because I went through some um, people that were close to me at a certain time, went through certain situations with like mental health that I didn't understand at the time, if that makes sense without being too specific, Mm -hmm. but it, you know, by reading about it and then this year experiencing those things, I have a better understanding of it. So first of all, like amazing job being where you are now, because at the time things probably seemed very hero and, daunting right so yeah absolutely um yeah when you're when you're at a valley in your life and especially if you've never really encountered those adversities beforehand or not to that extreme extent things may seem really dire but once you actually um climb up out from it and learn the skills to um recover from those slow points um, you're definitely better able to handle any kind of adversity in the future. Mm-hmm. Also for you, like you said, you really struggled during the pandemic, but it's not like it's your first rodeo either. Um, mm-hmm. You've had some mental health struggles in the past too. And I think um, even though as bad as the pandemic may be for you, you're definitely in a, at a place mentally where you can take it on a lot better than if the pandemic happened, let's say four years ago. Exactly. So, I mean, for sure, I see that growth with like, you know, how far we've both come, but I mean, with the pandemic, at least for me personally, um, I've never, like I, like you mentioned, I did experience things earlier on in my life, but this pandemic was like, Oh man, like, especially like those months of like September, October, uh, November, like it took me to the, to the bottom of the barrel, you know, and uh, I, it's difficult for me to put it into words. It's almost ineffable to like, to say these things because I can't put into words what I was feeling, you know, right. but if anything, I can say that during that time, I couldn't enjoy things at all. Um, I couldn't enjoy stuff that I like doing, like music. I couldn't enjoy this podcast. I couldn't enjoy like just daily life. I didn't want to wake up and get out of bed, you know? Yeah, that's, that's definitely the roughest time when, whenever that happens. Mm-hmm. So, Did you uh, find you went through like similar um, situations as well? Actually, um, so I'll, I'm going to talk a bit. So I kind of, I've been handling this pandemic kind of positively, at least as positively as you could. It's still a pandemic, it sucks, but like I'm, I'm an introvert. So I've always been very comfortable being on my own and like kind of doing things by, by myself and then it may be days in between talking to friends 
on social media or talk to my family. So I actually did okay um, back in the fall. But I'd say around February, March, that's when this whole thing finally started getting to me. Um, even though like I keep thinking to myself, okay, yeah, I'm handling this well. And um, we can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Vaccines are coming, even though it's taking such a long time. <laughs> the vaccines are definitely coming. But then I realized in the past month or so that I did start to feel those things you were talking about of not really enjoying things as much. Like, um, you know, I really enjoy cooking and then I post on social media. The, hey, you're the a great, thing. great cook, man. Thanks, man. Um, I haven't really cooked anything for you, but visually I try to present it to to make it interesting for people. At, I can at tell least. it's going to taste pretty good. Like, I just, I just, I just have a feeling. <laughs> yeah, thanks. And I guess I have to be good if I'm like this passionate about it and if it's like one of my main hobbies. Mm -hmm. But if, you, if you've noticed or not, I haven't actually been posting much in the past couple months. Um, that's just because of like with school and this pandemic all kind of getting to me and I don't have as much time because of school. And even when I do have time, I kind of don't have the energy or will to actually cook something that's interesting enough to like be fun or make me happy or be interesting enough to be posted on social media. Right. So that's definitely a sign to me that, wow, okay, I really can't wait for this winter pandemic to end. At least for the summer, for spring and summer, I can head out and I can always be happy just walking around in trails and stuff but yeah um when i had no fun or felt uninspired cooking stuff that's when i knew that this whole thing's really getting to me finally yeah dude it definitely um takes you out in ways that you would not expect it to right uh, for me as a person, and I've spoken about this at length, so I apologize if I'm, if I'm reiterating the same thing, um, but as a person who likes other people, I didn't realize how difficult this time would be. And I, I understand that there are other more important issues that are going on around the world. But from my perspective, like yesterday, I got a haircut at a barbershop for the first time in 14 months. Wow. Right. Were barbershops not open at all? Or they were open. I was just more cautious. Right. Um, but after a certain point, like yesterday sitting down in that chair and then chit chatting with the barber, like it just that feeling of normalcy that was absent for the past while just kind of returned in almost instantly. And then I became very happy with that like and it felt surreal and how crazy is that that something as simple as going to the barbershop becomes surreal exactly that's something it's like almost a chore for a lot of people i mean some people are more into like getting a new haircut than others but even for those who really like it um it's something that everyone every single person has taken for granted for sure exactly so that's why i need to be 
like even simple things like seeing friends going to a coffee shop sitting down reading a book while like the music plays or whatever like i'll probably head to a coffee shop later today just because i they're open here and i'm i'm taking full advantage of that because i don't know when it's gonna shut down again and then we don't have that anymore <laughs> yeah you definitely should because like even when you don't talk to people even for me as an introvert just being in the vicinity of people at a cafe or a patio just that atmosphere even when you're not even even though everyone's a stranger and you don't talk to any of them mm-hmm. um the ambience is that, like something yeah. com- that's comforting. I also feel that with the, like you're mentioning, uh, winter ending with like, now we're in spring, right? So we've, we've been chilling in spring for like about 10 days now. And about 10 days ago, I remember um, being outside the first day of spring with my bike. That's the day I got my bike. And then it was the most beautiful day ever. Like it was extremely euphoric for me because I went, I went outside sun was out it was warm outside it was like like 12 or 13 degrees right I had shorts on and people were outside like you know playing with frisbees flying kites you know and the whole community kind of went out and it was nice to be around all these people and finally feeling that ray of hope that we've all been holding on to and then like just feeling normal again yeah I can I can imagine that must have been such an amazing feeling after such a long winter like winters suck in general, mm-hmm. especially in somewhere so cold as Calgary. Um, there are things to enjoy about winter, but a full winter in the middle of a pandemic, it's just probably one of the worst winters we'll ever have in our lives. This winter for me was bad earlier on, but then in, around January, February-ish, I started skating a lot. And uh, my family and I would go out to the mountains every weekend. Wow. and skate in, on the lakes there's lake minnewanka here uh, near lake banff and we would go out there and just skate and that that part of it was something to look forward to like it was fun all right and so i tried to keep active in that way but like you know when you devoid a certain feeling for a long period of time and then when you finally receive it it feels so much grander than it is right so for me going out on march 21st seeing like you know birds chirping and like the snow melting and the sky being so clear it kind of brought like i'm like i haven't experienced this in so long like mm-hmm. it just kind of brought me back to life so now i'm feeling much better i'm really excited to see where the summer goes you're making me miss calgary man come on Come on through, you know, like travels open within the country. Right. I definitely will be back to that city or that area because um, we were we were paid okay, right? Doing research for color. Oh, that was like, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, that definitely restricted, uh, uh, like money, that definitely restricted how, how often I got to see the Rockies because I, I didn't always have a ride to go see some mountains it's also transportation right like right. if you have a car i have a car now so mm-hmm. if you're here i can take i can take it places <laughs> so yeah at least you had that even though you may not have been enjoying it as much in january or february mm-hmm. um you can still definitely enjoy the outdoors especially when you're so close to the rockies mm-hmm. absolutely man things are looking I mean, I, I don't want to make any, like, you know, predictions or anything, but I'm hopeful that things are going to be okay and we're going to come out of this. The depths of, of which that I've taken my mental health to, 
has made me realize that, you know, doesn't matter where you are in life, that doesn't define you. I feel like if anything, it has made me realize that, you know, wherever you are, you're going to come out of it. You're going to be okay. Time passes, things pass, like time heals everything. You just have to hold on. Absolutely. And that's one of the biggest things that um, mindfulness has taught me and probably taught you as well. It's really just be grounded, stay in the stay in the moment and put things in perspective. So like as much as possible, I try to like just stay in the present moment, right? Because um I don't wanna I don't wanna have too many regrets about the past or worry too much about the future. But at the same time, I still wanna learn from past mistakes and have goals for the future. I guess it's just a balance of all in all, keeping all those thoughts grounded to where you are in the present moment. It's almost like a dance, I feel like, where if you're too orderly with like your life, then you start being anxious about, you know, um, you're always looking at the output, for example, right? Because you're like, oh, I've spent so much time. You get into that gambler's fallacy mentality where you're like, yeah, I spent so much time on this thing. I should be getting this out of whatever, right? Like you think linearly, if I put eight hours in, I should get eight hours out, right? But life doesn't work like that, right? So there's like obstacles that are going to come your way. And then once you get those, get to those uh, valleys, you're like, okay, now I need to recalibrate. I need a plan to get out of here. And meditation is a really, very useful tool to make you realize that your feelings and your thoughts are all moment momentary, right? Like if you can imagine yourself laughing, about a situation that has happened in the past right and that's why journaling is so good too like you can write things down and i'll go back like 20 pages and i'll be like oh like this problem that i have doesn't exist anymore and that's all of life it's just the string of problems that won't exist anymore afterwards very much so man you have to be flexible right you can't just have straight rules that you can't ban because mm-hmm. um again that's let's say these rules have helped you in the past but then in moments when you break them um it can be a source of anxiety right Mm -hmm. so that's why they have to be flexible and it's kind of kind of like morality too like things aren't black and white we live in a world of gray so it's good to have guidelines they're not rules they're guidelines that you follow and because like situations aren't the same there might, there might be similar situations and you can handle them similarly, but you can't just say, oh, if this happens, I will do this and this and this. So you definitely need to have flexibility in your life. No, I agree. Having defined, I mean, don't get me wrong. You do need some things to be like your values and stuff, value structures to be defined in a way that allows you to be a better person every single day, Right a metric upon which you can measure yourself against, right? But when you're not flexible with those structures is is when you get in trouble, right? Because as people change, things change, situations change. Like COVID or the pandemic or the lockdown, whatever you want to call it, it it is an external factor, right? Something that you don't have any control over. So something to put into your equation, Right, something that can that has definitely impacted all of our lives. 
So then whenever you find that, for example, I've seen how because of the past mm, what year, a lot of the habits that grounded me as a person have been stripped away slowly. For example, working out at the gym was something that I enjoyed a lot. And now you can make the argument like, dude, just go do push-ups outside. Yes, I could do that. But it's just that the community feeling that I got from the gym, plus the accountability, plus the equipment, like all, it, it wasn't just a place to work out. It was just a place to also meet people and socialize. And a lot of it was social. So that was stripped away. That was like a, a keystone habit of mine. And then I think because of that, that affected my mental health. That led to the other habits kind of falling apart in, in a form of dominoes almost. You know, meditating is something that I paired with working out. Like I would, I would meditate after my workouts, for example. Um, so over time, I find that over a year, you could look at your physical health, you can look at your mental health and you're like, damn, like I was in a better place a year ago than where I am right now. But then you also have to take into consideration like, okay, we just, we're still going through a global pandemic. So then relax. Like it's, you know, this is not the worst it could have been. The worst thing that could have happened is death. So you're okay. Exactly. And yeah, you're right. They're very much all connected together. Like it's all self-care, right? All the, all the hobbies you do, all the routines that you do, um, they're all part of taking care of yourself physically and mentally. So like when, when you're not going to the gym as much, um, obviously you get affected physically, but um, it also gets to you mentally. I mean, there's like physical, physiological explanations for it, like hormones and stuff that I'm not as knowledgeable about but it definitely affects you mentally so that you might not be in a mood to eat right. Just for example, just throwing it out there. Um, so yeah, um, this pandemic definitely changed everyone's lives. And when your hobbies and routines um, that have been an essential part of your life for such a long time get affected, then it, there's definitely a de- domino effect there. Do you find that you have like over your practice of meditation and, you know, you getting better from like the low point that we're talking about back in 2018 or around that time, do you find that like, cause when I, a lot, okay. A lot of my friends have gone through a series of struggles as you do, because we're human, what, whatever context that that may be in, like, for example, some people, it's like heartbreak. Some people, it's like, you know, they lost their job. Some people, it's like they restarted their education again, right from the, from the start again. And you were like, when I met you, you were like in, I believe nanotech engineering yeah, at, at Waterloo. Yes. So there was like a lot of like, I mean, I, this is, everyone knows this, like there's a lot of like status uh, associated with the University of Waterloo. Even like me saying that makes my ego, right. you know, flare I up know. a little bit, right? Oh, I went to the University of Waterloo, even though it doesn't mean shit, but, yeah. <laughs> but like there's some, some type of like ego attached or status attached to that name. And then so that that's when I met you in 2018, you were still working and you're still a student there. And then now you're at Ottawa, right? So yep. how was, how was that journey? Like if you can let the listeners know. I was fairly far into my program. My last semester was my first semester of third year. Um, not many people switch programs at that point. 
but um when when i was struggling and i had to take a break from school and i went on this uh, mental health journey of discovering meditation and mindfulness and like slowly having that slowly improve every aspect of my life um so yeah it it improved every aspect aspect of my life because it put everything into perspective and i can focus more on what's good for me what's not so good for me stuff like that and it also led me to be more introspective and um through the introspection i one thing i knew is i needed a new environment so when my family moved to canada we moved to kitchener ontario so when i moved to when i started going to new waterloo that was my home school pretty much so i was comfortable there um that was home to me but i was ready for something new and i knew that from when i was living in calgary too that living on my own in a new city new environment discovering lots of things new people that was something i wanted to have again so mm-hmm. for sure i wanted to move to a different university and then another thing is i wanted to stick in stem so i did nanotech engineering i chose that in high school back in grade 12 because it sounded a really cool like a really cool program in right. a local school that has it's very prestigious right yeah nanotech um, was like yeah it was high high up there cuz no one like i remember when i was in high school this, we were probably the same age right mm-hmm. um you're 97 yeah okay so i remember back then in 2015 or 2014 in grade 12 i remember like hearing about nanotech engineering and how cool it sounded exactly and, like, <laughs> and the quantum nano center right yeah, like like having our own new building that steven hawking went to for the opening right right like it's, it's a, there's a lot of clout there for sure <laughs> yeah so i i knew i wanted to do science in general um but so i was very open and with nano the field is defined by working with really small materials in the nanometer range right so the applications are endless and that meant we learned all about electronics chemistry biomedical stuff so we ended up specialized in nano but being a jack of all right, trades right it's a, it's a quite of, flexible like field right yeah mm-hmm. it's like it's the only only undergrad program of its kind in north america that's for a reason because usually nano is something you specialize in in graduate school once right, you're like right. a, an electrical engineer or chemist or biologist but here you're starting at like 17 or 18 you're starting this program mm. yeah and So yeah, I was very open when I was in grade 12, but then through actually going through the courses and and going through co-op, I learned that I was more into the um chemical side of things and the electronics were like my worst courses, so I definitely wanted to stay away from that. Mm-hmm. And um I could have gone back to nano and just specialized in the non-electronic stuff because in upper years you get to do that. Mm-hmm. but i wanted a change of scenery and then i also kind of thought about the what i wanted to use science for you know and that's where the introspection comes in mm-hmm. so it came down to i like to say either curing cancer so going into the biomedical field 
right. or trying to fix the planet. And um, I say that not not because it's very think, important issues. So. Yeah, I don't think the planet needs saving. It can survive whatever we're doing to it. It's just that if we keep doing what we're doing, we may not survive, and many other species may not survive in the in the coming hundred years or so. I think also going back. Well, first of all, that's that's really great that you know you got to that point where you can ask yourself, what do you want to do with your life? Like I didn't have that realization until I want to say like fall of 2018 when I read Crime and Punishment by Fyodor Dostoevsky. And that book initiated this curiosity of mine to become a physician. But even though that book has nothing to do with medicine, it's about murder and like, (laughs) and like not having a purpose basically. So that's when I'm like, holy shit, I need to like, like get my things together if I want to have a viable future. Like I have to sacrifice some of the present day to get to a better place where I can be in 10 years, 15 years, 45 years. Right. So how did, how did you, how did you come to those two realizations? Like, Oh, I don't want to use chemistry for, or chemistry side of the sciences for cancer, curing cancer or making the planet a better place, like environmentally. It's really just a buildup of um, just being mindful, helping me realize many things about myself. Um, it definitely helped that I was away from school and I was working, but it was, uh, it was only part-time. And when I'm not working, unlike school, I'm actually free. I don't have homework to do, right? So mm-hmm. I had a lot of time for myself. So you're just thinking um, and like and meditating yeah. on it? Okay. Yeah, like a lot of my time, a lot of time to just think and I needed I needed to figure out how I wanted to go back to school. Mm-hmm. And like going back going from full-time engineering to just working part-time, that's a that that's a really big shift. It gave me a lot more time. Um so yeah, it's really all just introspection and me thinking about what's best for myself. And then, so I liked the idea of going to Ottawa. So I ended up, um, I ended up choosing chemistry at the University of Ottawa. And then I chose Ottawa too, because they had a, an eco-chemistry option for, for chemistry honors, for chemistry undergrads. That, that definitely appealed to me. And then since coming here, I've been, I've been a lot more driven, especially compared to when I was just a first year or second year in, at Waterloo, because I had goals. I knew I needed a PhD to get a research job that where I could actually make a difference. Right. It's such a long herring road, like it to, in order to like make, and something that I want to make clear for the people that are not in academia. And I think most people that listen to my, my podcast are in, in the academics. Or at least um, familiar with that, right? Exactly. Yeah. Because I had Michael MC's on, he was like, he's a, he's a physicist from Waterloo. Um, and one of the things that we discussed during that conversation was that research takes so much time and especially specific research and if you want to make change that takes even more time like even if you want to think about a project it takes like two to three years to like get it approved 
get the funding mm-hmm. for it. And then afterwards the work starts and that's like what, five to 10 more years. So you really have to, and then you also have to be okay with the idea that by the end of all this research, you may amount to nothing at all. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it's, it's, it is a definitely scary path to go down on. Yeah. It's definitely a process. Like um, I did an eight month co-op in Calgary, right? Even though I was working full time. So like grad students, they do research, but they worry about other stuff like TA being TAs for courses and having their own courses. I was working 35 to 40 hours, sometimes even more per week. Mm-hmm. And even then I didn't feel like um, I, I took ownership of my own project after four months. And that's the usual lack of, um, of co-op co-op terms at Waterloo, right? right there's only, one term some, that you get where it's eight months. Yeah, the, yeah. Depending on the program, only some actually get to experience the eight month co-op. Oh, right, right, right. Cause you were in like the same stream as like the other sciences, right? Yeah. I think only, only a few engineering programs had, had our same sequence. Cause the other ones are like four, four, like it's just four months and yeah. four months out. Yeah. yeah. For some of them, it's really just alternating four months going to school and going to work. Mm-hmm. And also recently I did research part-time. So only 10, 10 hours or so per week for, for only a few months. And I feel like I barely scratched the surface of right. what, whatever field I'm in. Yeah. And it, that's like kind of the case for most of the sciences, I, I feel. Yeah. And also it's a, it's a collaborative process and that's an essential part of it whether you're just um, throwing ideas in, in a group meeting once a week or talking to other people in the department, in your university or other universities, that's an essential part of the process because it's very hard to progress in most fields if you're like, we're so far out from the days of Newton or Einstein just working away on their own mm-hmm. in whatever office they're in, right? Um, it's a very collaborative process now and that's essential to the process because um, it's hard to progress when you only one have person. one mind or a few minds right. thinking, of, thinking of this problem. I mean, there's pros and cons to it, right? Like the biggest benefits of collaboration I find is that people can check your ideas and then you, you, you get out of your head because you can bounce ideas with other people, right? Whatever you're thinking might not be the right thing or the right path to take. And you can get feedback there and then you can adjust your course accordingly, right? Yeah. But another side, like the another uh, con of collaboration would be, I guess, uh, you know, if you're dependent on other people's progress, if your progress is dependent on other people's progress, then it can get annoying if that person isn't living up to their you know standard or whatever deliverables that they had assigned to them or also they might be very competent and they're so competent that it affects their ego so they become hard to work with that can happen that happens a lot right and then so there's that power difference almost a barrier where you're like man like there are some people where i'm like i do not want to work with these people like i i don't enjoy this and then there's some people where like it's just flawless like it's seamless in the sense that, okay, our working habits can coexist. It's, it's like a work marriage, right? And you're like, okay, like uh, these are what I value. This is what they value. And we can communicate great. Like this, this marriage works out. But if it doesn't, then it's just pain. <laughs> yeah. And that's a big advice that I've been hearing about um, recently because um, I've been attending lots of, like every opportunity I can to 
learn from grad students in conferences or just um, um, panels or discussions about advice for get, getting into grad school. Uh, that's something that's that people really uh, emphasize is actually talking to your supervisor and talking to members of whatever research group you want to join. Because uh, ideally, you just pick a research topic that really interests you, right. that piques your interest, and that's when it, what you what what you want to focus on for a few years in your master's or PhD. But these are people that you will be working in a lot, uh, working with a lot, and it's really essential that you actually work well with them, and that you can actually hang out with them for a coffee or for lunch, and that you don't. Like you should be looking forward to actually going into the lab and working with this group of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely something that to take into consideration. I know a lot of grad students that are miserable because of miscommunication or the fact that the program that they are in is not what they thought it would be. So now there's like a divide between your expectations and the reality of the situation. And cr- that creates this, this ambience of tension or maybe dissatisfaction that you didn't recognize earlier on. Mm-hmm. Right. So my, my friends that are like pursuing, and a lot of them are doing incredible things, obviously like, you know, PhDs and, and masters and whatnot. But I have some friends that are like, just still holding on to their PhD. still working on it for like seven, eight years. And it's just, I, a lot of the problems can be defined as like miscommunication or uh, lack of lack, almost lack of communication between like what the PI wants and what, you know, the person wants. And going to the, going to the wrong group for you. Cause like, it's not that there are good groups or bad groups. Um, it, it's just the right fit, like with any relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so if it can make, make or break your career really especially since in academia um, the word of all your previous supervisors are essential in allowing you to move to the next step. Right. Right. That's why don't burn any bridges. Like they don't have to. Exactly. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about like what you said about sustainability and the, and the earth. So I read in, I believe it was Homo Deus by Yuval Noah Harari. Mm-hmm. And he mentions that if every single person had to live at the quality of life of an average American, then you would need seven Earths to extract that many resources so that every single seven, all seven billion people can have the same quality of life, which is not, uh, which is not ideal, right? You don't want to dig through seven Earths and we don't have seven Earths to dig through, right? Not at all. <laughs> so it just brought into attention a lot of my own personal behaviors as well that might be contributing to the worsening of climate change, you know, or whatever crises that we're going through at the moment. The people causing the problems. Um, so it's definitely not proportional, like what percentage of the population is emitting a certain percentage of greenhouse gases or however you want to want to compute or quantitate um, what we're doing to the planet, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So let's say people in North America, Western Europe, North America, Australia, New Zealand, Japan. Mm -hmm. So those so-called Western countries, um, those have definitely done a lot more damage 
just because um, these places were industrialized um, uh, a lot sooner compared to the rest of the world. And it's kind of an ethical issue too of these, uh, <laughs> these so-called advanced countries being, being so high up telling the poorer countries that are just catching up that, oh, wait, hold on. This lifestyle is really bad for the planet. Um, you probably shouldn't be um, making all these factories or putting this many cars on the road. Right. So it's kind of unfair too that the West... Hypocritical, yeah. Yeah, the West got to enjoy this lifestyle. And now that we know it's bad... Uh, it's almost people, like a yeah. like a trade-off, right? Like where you are, you you've gotten used to a certain type of lifestyle, right? And th- like you know, when you get your, your iPhone, you don't think about where it came from, right? When you look at your clothes, you don't think about where it came from or what was used to make the clothes that you're wearing, right? So, I almost find that in poorer countries, for example, like let's say uh, where my parents are from, Bangladesh, um, China, India, like I guess China's not a poor country, but um you can't tell these people that their practices are wrong right without giving inse- giving them incentives to like pursue those those practices that are more quote unquote better for the planet right mm-hmm. so for example paper straws or you know pl- moving from plastic straws to paper straws right a lot of these countries might think that okay like why should we do that right right yeah. If there's no, if there's no, let's say, economic or financial incentives for them to move from paper straws to like, I mean, plastic straws to paper straws, excuse me, right? So it's not a, it's not as easy as like, you know, don't use plastic straws, or it's not as easy as like, you know, whatever the best practices are, take public transportation, right? Don't buy a car. Um, so these things are like like we you mentioned earlier in this podcast these issues are also in in the gray right so we have to find some place in like we have to meet somewhere in the middle where we're we're like helping the planet but also we're not drastically altering the lifestyles of, of people in my opinion obviously i'm not yeah. an expert at any at anything so <laughs> take it with a grain of salt yeah and it's it's super definitely super complicated um because one big issue that people grapple with in these circles is the idea of individual change versus systemic change right Mm -hmm. so um someone like me i've been i've made some personal changes so um outside of me trying to pursue a career in research where i can do something about climate change or at least some other some environmental issue. Um, I've gone vegan because um, it's more sustainable. And Mm -hmm. some people might say that's on the extreme end of things, but if like people at least have a, eat plant-based proteins a lot more often, like let's say everyone in the world stops, avoids eating meat like two or three times a day. Um, That alone can make enough of a difference that, um, that we're not emitting as much greenhouse gases. And that's, mm-hmm. that allows for room to actually feed our growing, growing global populations sustainably. So, yeah, there, I mean, there's like caveats there too, in the sense of 
um like personally i have i don't know, i really enjoy meat <laughs> and i've enjoyed meat for a long period of time and i've tried vegan diets and the issue with me personally is just like i have an autoimmune disease and it flares up for a lot like a, i can't eat a lot of vegetables because i get my my sickness gets worse mm-hmm. so meat you know a counterintuitive way makes me feel healthier and i don't flare up as much as, as much anymore so like grains and stuff like that will make me and the disease i have is called uh, hydrogenitis superativa if anyone wants they can look it up but everyone has different um things that would cause them to flare up for me it happened to be like nightshade vegetables and also like so like uh, eggplants and tomatoes and, and such and also um if i eat a lot of greens as well it will cause my uh you know my thing to flare up my autoimmune disease to flare up so if i wanted to make that personal change like it would take i would have to love the environment a lot more than my my health you know it's definitely very personal um no matter what you do that's why one thing i really wish to happen is for sustainability to be something that everyone regular people talk uh thinks about and all their choices and exactly Cause, yep because um there are many ways that you can uh make an impact so it's all about the mindset right of society whether it's like local community communities or our global um mm-hmm. global community so it's all about this shift in mindset of people trying to be more sustainable and if enough if it's normal for everyone to think sustainably then inevitably um there will be systemic changes because um uh, the money will will follow people will support uh businesses that are See, are, we have to incentivize have, yeah. more green initiatives because like even personally like you i didn't make extreme changes like going vegan for example but i'm eating less now like i'm eating less meat i'm eating less in general just because you know we've been sold this idea of overconsumption like we just want to like feed ourselves most of the times because of oral fixation or like some form of oral pleasure it's not really like the food itself is you know providing you value it's just the taste of that food is really great right I always said that if they're able to make um like I've I've tried beyond meat and it's not bad like it it's it's all right like it's not it's I if you if it's really well done then sometimes I can't tell the difference between actual meat mm-hmm. and beyond meat for example so I'm all down for that um if they could make meat in the lab I would eat it every day like if it tastes the same and the nutrient uh, profile is the same I would not it wouldn't wouldn't make a difference to me because um I know the horrors of factory farming and right and um like when you see stuff like that and you read about it it does make you question like why the fuck am i consuming this if it's adding to the problem mm-hmm. right but then you also have to be conscious about other actions as well like why am i buying this electronic if it's causing someone else's like life to be shittier yeah right i feel like it's always that you know whatever you don't see escapes your mind so you don't think about it when you do get exposed to it, you're like holy shit like i do need to make some changes and it can be as small as like me educating yourself on all these issues for sure but like for me like the biggest changes i made was like i carry a thermos with me to coffee shops and i'll be like hey can you fill it up right so that's then, a big thing yeah like and it, it's cheaper that's the incentive right mm-hmm. and you're saving the planet it's a win-win situation 
and your coffee stays uh, warmer longer. So, and like depending on the person, that's um, that's definitely hundreds and thousands of coffee cups, right? Yes, hundreds and thousands of coffee cups, hundreds and thousands of millions of straws, um, plastic bottles. Just carry like if you carry like a water bottle with you, that saves a lot of a uh, lot of plastic bottles from the landfills, right? Um, so yeah, it really is all about sustainability. That's why, like, so let's talk about meat again. There's definitely nothing wrong with eating meat. Um, we've evolved eating meat, and it's a big part of most cultures in the world, right? Some people may attack you because of the statement. <laughs> yeah, this, this, remember, remember, this is a vegan, a two-year vegan saying this. Right, right. Um, you got the credentials. So yeah, I was like, I. I wasn't convinced to be vegan because I felt bad for the animals and right. a lot of vegans became vegan because of that, but it really was just the sustainability re- yes, uh, reasons. Like yeah. I think it was like freaking Reddit comments that finally convinced me to try it out or at least look more information about it. Cause uh, the argument is pretty compelling, right? It's, so would you eat like artificial meat? I don't know if, if, if it's, if it's sustainable, then I would, okay. I don't have the urge to eat meat right now. And for you, bro, um, if you have meat that's um, that comes from sustainable sources and is accessible, then I'd be very happy for you to keep continuing eating that and continuing that part of your lifestyle. Because um, the biggest problem with meat is, so people know about cows emitting methane. So obviously less cows means less methane being released. But another thing is with factory farming, they're usually being fed with usually mm-hmm. grains, grains that are specifically grown um, to be used for animal feed, right? So um, if people remember trophic levels from ecology class, I think in grade nine science in Ontario. Most people have forgotten. Um, so the idea <laughs> is that when you go from like the class of plants to herbivores and a primary carnivore and a secondary carnivore and so on, only like a ballpark 10% of the energy gets moved on to the next level. Uh, so the, the idea is energy is lost uh, going from plants to even to an herbivore like cows. Mm-hmm. So because like they use up energy um, sustaining themselves, right? Processing they use up energy yeah. just like growing and then living maintaining their bodily processes so you don't get as much energy back when you eat eat like let's say one kilogram of a plant versus one kilogram of beef Mm -hmm. Um, so if a lot of the land that's being used for animal feed actually gets used for crops for human consumption then that can make a difference so either that land can be made for crops for humans or some of that land can be um, grown back into their natural state like forests or swamps or whatever their their prior natural state was wherever that uh, farmland is situated Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah that is the idea of how having a plant-based diet can be better for the environment in the long run no this, so, that's definitely like a, a good argument mm-hmm. to make i i also think that another problem is the population and the consumption culture 
of mm-hmm. like you know you're going out to like restaurants you're eating whatever right and then if you think about feeding seven billion people right like how much how sustainable is that over what period of time right how many like even things like like i do understand the vegan argument in terms of like milk as well like, and i know you mentioned sustainability i think of it more in terms of like animal cruelty and um okay. in terms of just like for example if you want um i think you've all know harare to bring him up again in his first book sapien talks about this at, at length mm-hmm. and he says that you know if, if if they find out that bovine depression causes that causes cows to produce less milk then yeah. they'll be spending millions of dollars trying to cure bovine depression right yeah i've heard and, that idea and if it's like a cow for a cow to be producing milk it has to be constantly impregnated right Mm -hmm. and also like it's just really graphic and cruel to see that and like why are we drinking milk (laughs) of all things you know like so we haven't even like we um, we lack the enzymes yeah adults adults haven't adult humans haven't been drinking milk or consuming dairy products for that long right and it, it seems unnatural to me at least that that we drink milk even though as much as i like dairy products and whatnot like it's cheeses taste good you know like all these different things it's like mouth pleasures are great but i'm lactose intolerant i don't (laughs) i don't drink milk Um, so many people so many groups of people in the world are for a reason and it goes back to it being quote unquote unnatural it's just something new to our diets Mm -hmm. Um, another idea I want to bring up too, in terms of food, and we can it, this can be generalized in terms of uh, other products too, mm-hmm. is um, local sources, right? Um, you want right. you'd want your local groceries to obtain products from nearby farms whenever possible. Um, obviously, we can't expect to have bananas or or other tropical products here in Canada year but round. You can go as close as you can. Like probably the closest to here is like Mexico or something like that, you know, like yeah, Mexico or the U S so like yeah. definitely tropical pro- products from Mexico. Um, I try to get stuff from Mexico if it's possible mm-hmm. um, as opposed to the Philippines, which is my home country mm-hmm. as much as I want to support uh, the people there. That stuff had to be flown across the Pacific to be, to be sold in grocery stores here in Canada. Mm-hmm. And that's a major difference in greenhouse gas emissions compared to in Latin America. What do you think about hunting? Um, I think it's one of the most sustainable sources of food if done properly. Right. And that's something I can support. And I think a lot of historically, uh, hunters have been pushing for sustainability. Mm-hmm. Like in the late late 1800s early 1900s um people like teddy roosevelt those are a lot of the very foremost um environmental heroes who push for national parks and stuff like that Uh, all of them are hunters and they're they're people who lived off the land and that's definitely something i support morally like again it sucks that animals had to die, but it's a natural process. And a lot of hunters are 
the the good hunters they are pushing for more sustainability right and they, they're the ones also who decry the the glory hunters the people who yeah those the, guys can fuck off you know yeah the glory hunters like the people can who fuck off fly to africa just to kill or some rare animal that's just as like a trophy you know mm-hmm. um yeah no i i don't fuck with that at all for sure but i also think that like for like you said like in terms of sustainability hunting regulations will make you they only like there are certain things such as overpopulation in, in animal uh like pyramids as well right in terms of like you know if you're if you're at the top of the food chain you know how the food chain works like if there's uh too many of one group it can affect everything downstream right so like there is an argument to be made that it's actually beneficial for the ecosystem that you know you go out and take out some of these animals in the most respectful way possible so like for hunting i know that you know you're only allowed to or you're only supposed to hunt like old uh animals that have already passed on their genes mm-hmm. right and then like for example if you kill i don't know two elks a year that's enough food for the entire year right and then it's, it's like you you hunted it and then also i think our eating habits like if you if you meet people that came from places where food is scar, uh, scar, more scarce scarce mm-hmm. i don't know i said like that <laughs> um, <laughs> like they these people end up i think consuming the animal at a better extent and what do i mean by that like eating organs for example like animal organs eating um like my family we eat animal organs all the time like cow organs and goat organs or whatever mm-hmm. um or eating like you know using every part of that animal to the best extent so that it's not wasted right and i think that's even more respectful than like you know the factory farming stuff that goes on with like you know clearly you're just reproducing animals to chop them up again and exactly yeah. and these aren't new ideas either you know it's like we lost out of touch with living off the land because of industrial industrialization and um modern convention modern conventional farming. i can even argue like i think agriculture in general has and I, I, once again sapiens going back to that book like he makes this mm-hmm. argument these are not my ideas but like um it's just plants domesticated us other than the other right. way around right yeah like so if you have a piece of land and you're growing shit on it right like it's gonna take you have to attend to it you're kind of bound to that land you're not a nomad anymore of like going out hunting and gathering that phase of your life has passed and then you have a lot of children because you need people to take care of the land as well so you're domesticated Mm -hmm. by this piece of land and the plants that you're growing you have to feed the plants you have to do you know take care of them so that once harvest time comes you can actually reap the benefits of your labor yeah and i think um we can learn a lot about the the practices from uh indigenous indigenous cultures right mm-hmm. um i'm generalizing because i don't know enough about specific groups of people but they definitely know how to be sustainable how to live with the land really well um they know they know how to hunt efficiently uh, how to treat the the environment really well because um, it's essential for their way of life for them to survive. Um, I mean, like this this stuff they still practice this stuff nowadays, but definitely a lot more in 
like centuries ago, right? Mm-hmm. These practices are being lost over over the years, and I think it's like time. It's kind of it's kind of crazy. Like um, people that have lived on this land, and obviously, uh, just like you, I'm not that knowledgeable, and I have gaps in my knowledge. So if I do misstate something, then I apologize. You know, um, but if in my in my mind, I'm thinking that why wouldn't you ask the people that have been living here for centuries for the best practices of their land? Right now, sustainability is a whole another issue with like the amount of people that are here now versus back then and mm-hmm. the ways of living. But I think that a lot of these old practices have are slowly becoming more and more lost as people move towards new trends. And whether it's like, whether it's like a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, because like I don't have the skills, for example, to go out and hunt for my food. Mm-hmm. you know like i'm glad that i can go to walmart or wherever or even just forage for stuff right like you know what's gonna yeah. kill you i'll be dead in like a couple of days i guarantee it <laughs> you know like um, you can't just try every mushroom you see <laughs> no <laughs> definitely not <laughs> <laughs> so um as fun as that sounds yeah <laughs> like could be good could be bad could be could bad be, it could be dead could be crazy <laughs> could be so, a fun time <laughs> There's definitely something to be said there about like where, which practices, like once again, finding, I'm not saying like, I'm not glorifying, oh, back then was so much better. No, it was probably yeah. shitty as well. Or a lot of the times, right? We're just strictly speaking about best practices and sustainability. Yeah, we can take a lot of their ideas of living in the local land sustainably and then applying that to this global world that we're global society that we're living in now where everyone like it's so much easier to affect um places that are far out and like your effects are far more widespread Mm -hmm. exactly i also think that the future from my perspective and you can chime in i i do feel like we're the future is more green than where we are now in terms of like cars and stuff like that. I could see like with the advent of Tesla being so popular, literally, like literally the richest company in the world right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And these ideas of that are being popularized by people in pop culture and media, right. Mm-hmm. Of sustainability. I do feel like there's a shift in the way that people are thinking. And for sure. These old ideas of these fundamentalist ideas of, yeah, no, this is how things are always been. We, who cares about our grand great grandkids or whatever like that's not the point it's not about your great grandkids it's about like the survival of everybody yeah um so i think i am hopeful about the trends at which it's progressing at we are definitely heading in the right direction and the internet helps for sure like you can learn so much on the internet whether it's true whether it's stuff that are true or it's fake news or whatever. But um, at the very least, um, the conversation is out there, right? And exactly. even if even if people started off on the wrong side with false facts, at the very least, they're part of the conversation. And then hopefully a number of them will finally see the, see the light and actually believe the stuff that's true and the stuff that's bullshit that's out there that's why i don't support like full censorship of ideas i think mm-hmm. that ideas as wrong as they may be like from my perception or as 
you know, like for, I, I think we're always somewhere in the middle in terms of truths, right? Like you have best practices in my opinion is like you use whatever evidence that you have that is concrete to back up your, your, your ideas, right. To confirm them in a, in a way. But then I think you should also challenge your ideas by in, including new information that may go against what you truly believe. Right. So the way I do this is like, I read books that I don't agree with initially. Mm-hmm. And then maybe I still don't agree with 85% of it, but 15% of it has changed. So now I have a new reformed idea of what I thought about, about that specific topic. Right. So I'm, I'm welcoming new idea. I'm letting my ego shatter as, as I go through it. And I think online or wherever people shouldn't be so quick to like, like, I'm not saying like something as crazy as like the earth is flat is like clearly wrong. Like I wouldn't even read a book about the earth being flat. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but, right. but like something more nuanced and like, and like in the gray is like, is, a, is like something that I need to be more knowledgeable about. And then I'll read books about it from the other perspective, because then I don't just confirm my ideas whenever I need to. Right. And I see that a lot. People just repost facts that that only support their views on Twitter. Right. I'm like, okay, let's look at the full picture. Maybe you're 49% right. Maybe you're 51%, right? Who knows? Maybe you're 85%, right? But like there has to be, it's not one or zero. Mm-hmm. We should, yeah, we should all definitely strive to be lifelong learners because it is. But it's, it's so hard. Yeah, that's not that's even yeah. That's what it is. Like you try to learn as much as you can and at the very least um, be aware whenever you hear something, something that you don't like and be aware whenever it happens where you're, you, you think you disagree with it, but really it's an emotional response and you don't, you don't want the other person to be right. So just being aware of those situations um, our society will definitely benefit from it. How do you, how do you personally keep an open mind to ideas? Um, Really just being open to listening, first of all. And um, sometimes I even look forward to hearing a certain person's perspective when I know it's from a side where I, I likely won't agree with. But it's just a matter of having a meaningful conversation, right? No insults being hurled, no, no all or nothing attitudes being out there. And I, I definitely hear you with what you said about, in the end, not even, this, not even being completely convinced with the person, but um, at least learning something and maybe changing your position 5%, 10% or so? Just lightly. I, I just don't like how, like it shocks me how people are so deeply entangled and married to their ideas that they're not willing to change. And maybe that's a trait of personality. Like I, I'm very high on openness and I'm open. And maybe that's like part of being a creative. It's like you have to open new ideas mm-hmm. that don't mesh well with like your old ideologies, right? So because of that, I I, like people will, are willing to die on that hill of whatever political stance that they have. Like they are liberals or they are conservatives, whatever, whatever the case may be. Right. So then like, it's just surprising. I'm like, you're going to spend your one life thinking that you're part of like team, my team versus your team. It's mm-hmm. tribalism at the, at the root of it. Right. Yeah. I'm like, how, like, 
you know, your neighbor may be a great person just because they politically line themselves with a side that you're not with doesn't mean you can't hang out with them and have coffee or whatever. They probably yeah. have other aspects of their life that they can help you out with. It's not just this or that. So maybe it's amplified with social media because that's all we're being fed. Mm-hmm. I want to promote this, this school of thought of being more open towards nuanced conversations and just sitting down and like, what do you know? You know, at the end yeah. of the day, what the fuck do you actually know? You're just another human. Yeah. So it's better to, it's the people that say they definitely know something. I'm always skeptical because I'm like, but what if new information comes in? You know, yeah. you, you shouldn't be a fundamentalist with your ideas. I don't think, you know? Yeah. And I think it might be easier for us because um, we're younger and we we're, we're in science, right? We, we're choosing careers where we actually strive to keep learning. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit easier for us to stay open-minded because we know there's so much more to learn, so many ways we can improve as people. I would think with the internet, people would want to bridge that gap more. Like that's what I use like specifically for, to inform myself. Like I use the internet, I read books. I, you know, try to like, find better sources for myself to to explore new ideas through mm-hmm. but it seems to be the case that people use the internet a lot of the times to just confirm their beliefs so they'll they'll google exactly what they want to what they want proof of and then they'll find evidence of that whatever small amount of literature review that they just did and then make that into like a formidable point and I think that's also that can be cor- that can be related to um, our issues with sustainability also because mm. um, here in North America we're used to a certain we're used to a certain way of life and for some people who have lived a certain way for decades they don't sometimes they they feel personally attacked mm. when other people challenge their way of life like having a bunch of cars or driving to a place where you could walk for maybe 20 or 30 minutes, which is quite far for some people, but every now and then maybe it's possible or like going on yearly vacations, consuming so much meat and stuff like that, ordering so much from Amazon. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of it also, like just to push back a bit, not really push it back, but just like I entertain some ideas. Um, I see that with like this way of life and this fundamentalism, I see that on both sides. So for example, I like, I know people that are vegans that are spewing hatred towards people that eat meat. And then I see people that eat meat spewing hatred towards vegans. Right. And I'm like, why can't we, first of all just chill like why does it have to be prophetic why does it have to be like like it's almost tribal religious there's religiosity with yeah. with the aspect of uh whatever diet that they're on you know like, like it could be two atheists um yeah yeah well arguing with each other you know atheists that you know i know personally i know some atheists that are like fundamentally atheists like they're really religiously atheists which is ironic yeah right but and i don't know how the irony is lost on them but yeah it is, it is just like you are what are you like a soldier of richard dawkins like relax man because <laughs> like, at the end like they, they, they're missing the point you know it's all about um 
untangling yourself from these um, institutions or beliefs that are very close-minded, right? Mm-hmm. And they're they're missing the point entirely. Taking away from your biases and then creating original thoughts, right? Like that's a difficult thing to do. And even your original thoughts are not that original. Like someone else has probably thought about it. And you don't have to be original. It's um okay, it's reminding me of this quote by by the singer of Pantera, this metal band. So it's hard to be original in music and original in and in in general. It's almost because, impossible to be original in music. Like Yeah. But it's it's when you bring in your 10 favorite bands and your other band members bring in all their favorite bands. And it's when you mix all those sounds that you find your own original sound. Mm. So it's not completely original, but to, to expand on that generally, um, we as people have all our, have, have our own lived experiences and we should definitely strive to engage in conversation with other people, whether one-to-one or in groups, because we all share these compiled experiences. And then when we come together, um, we can learn a lot from each other just because of all these different perspectives. 100%. And, you know, I always am open to conversations about anything in the world because I have so much more to learn and I can't just sit on my ass and think like, oh, no, look at me, I read books, you know, look at me, like I do all these things. It's like, no, like you're forever learning. You're, you're a student of life, you know? And as time goes on, hopefully you get a better idea of who you are. And every year that's changing as well. Yeah, definitely. And going back to your point about being hopeful for the future. Um, yeah, the internet has helped spark conversation at least. And um, I think now that virtually everyone is um, relying on the internet, it's in like there are conversations about the internet being a utility, kind of like electricity or heating. I I believe, I believe it should be a human right to have access to the internet. Um, Mm -hmm. There's no other place where you'd get this much information this fast. And you clearly have an advantage if you have it kind of like, uh, accessibility to internet. Yeah, it's it's getting more and more essential for schoolwork. And even when you're, like, let's say you go up to Tim Hortons and then you talk to the manager and you're a 15-year-old looking for the first job. Um, even then, they might ask, ask you to just go to their website and apply to there. 100%, yeah. Even though you made the effort to actually go door-to-door and go to businesses and right. ask, for, cool. ask for a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that seems to be so that seems to be where we're headed now. But I'm I'm hopeful. We'll see, like how things go. And as as a society, as a global society, again, we're um, we're learning more and more how to live with the live with the internet, right? Because mm-hmm. we're kind of um, people close to our generation, maybe a bit older, maybe a bit younger. We're kind of the guinea pigs in terms of growing up with the internet. Right, right. Um, for us, we remember a childhood where we go out and play, and we're mm-hmm. not we're not just um, on like iPads or but we're not on tablets or smartphones. 
Um, I call I them my about you. You know, like I call, yeah. I go from one rectangle to another rectangle to another rectangle where reality just feels like a hollow simulation of yeah. real life. You know. So yeah, like it's still fairly new, like widespread internet use. But as we move forward, we're better able how to handle it, how to recognize all the all the problems or the all the benefits. Um, so I think it can be an essential tool for us to keep improving as a connected global society as we as we um, tackle all the all these different problems, whether it's environmental problems or social or political issues. Yeah, man, that's that's a great note to end this conversation on. I feel like there's a lot of hidden gems here. I'll definitely go back and listen to it, and um, it. It's always a pleasure talking to you. You've always provided me with so much like energy and information. So thank you for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you so much. I feel like, um, I mean, I kind of prepared mentally going over stuff I wanted to talk about, but I felt like it was very organic and it's not that far off from what our usual conversation would be like. Mm-hmm. And that's something I enjoy with um, listening to your podcasts. Um, I don't, I don't listen to all of them, but I listen to enough that I get a good sense of your dynamic with your guests. And it really feels like just you hanging out with um, all the very interesting people in your life. Mm-hmm. No, that's that, that was the goal of it initially as well. And I'm glad that you feel that way. Um, it makes it validates my work a bit more and I feel better about what, what, where we're headed. It's gone. It's come a long way. I think this will be like episode 30 with the guests. And then I have like a few more episodes I think there's like 35 episodes altogether um, and it's been around 10 months now and I'm excited to see how far I can push it and where I can take it. It's a cool side project. Yeah. And yeah, it's been a year. It, I'm sure it's been a learning process for you too, but. Oh yeah. Check out my first episodes. You'll- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think I might, I, I do remember um, listening to the first few episodes and um, I think you're, much more comfortable and you've also had some pretty pretty cool guests here that i mean like you have some really cool friends and you tend to talk about some really interesting topics but you've also invited some experts on here too and i've caught a few of those episodes Mm -hmm. and i really like where it's heading and just really how how organic it feels like the entire process no, thank you, man. I, I do appreciate that a lot. Like recently, yesterday, I checked out my stats and now this podcast has reached every continent. Wow. So, except That's for Antarctica, crazy. you know, but <laughs> if there are some penguins out there that want to listen, uh, go ahead. But yeah, like it's reached every continent and I'm like, I'm so grateful for it. Um, and it's across like 27, 30 countries or whatever, but like, it's just, it's, it's, it's growing and um, I just want to keep hacking at it over time. I enjoy the process of all of it. Like I'll be editing episodes and I'll forget about eating and I'll like, I'll enjoy that process. Right. It doesn't never feels like a, a daunting task or a painful task. So um, yeah, as long as it's fun, then, you know, everything's great. Yeah, exactly. And even the not so fun parts, like I would say editing is like the least fun part of it, but it, even even those parts are not too bad because I can see the end. When I listen to the end product, I just feel very proud. Um, and then when, when you go through the, the whole recording and edit, um, that's also another learning opportunity for you, right? So mm-hmm. it's no, tedious, I, but 
um, the more you do it, um, the easier it's going to be for you. And it's going to be even more fun. No, absolutely. And I would love for you to come back again whenever you want. Um, you know, I, I want to get my friends back again and like have more conversations. Yeah. Thanks so much. Um, we, we didn't even talk about, um, I'll be heading to Montreal doing some research there and, um, there's definitely going to be a lot of experiences we can talk about. Yeah. No, maybe the next time we talk, you'll be in Montreal. Who knows? For sure. No, I'm looking forward to it, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much. It's been an honor to be here.